Neat Stuff Podcast, episode 19. Welcome to the Neat Stuff Podcast. My name is Devin. And I'm Kat. We're back for another week of neat and wonderful things. Before we jump into things, what have you been up to this week, Dev? Well, uh, the big thing is that I'm now officially staff for KomoriCon. Yay! I turned in my uh, staff registration form and had my director sign it immediately and say, you can't escape. Your soul is mine for another year. I don't think Jackie would let you go pretty much for anything, actually at all. I registered too, so. Yeah, apparently I'm one of the sane ones. <laughs> when you talk about an anime convention is, you know, not really hard. What does that make me? Another sane one in a different department. <laughs> Completely different department. So I've also been playing some some new games. I played Air Mech, which is a kind of robotech kind of um multiplayer battle arena kind of game so you have a mech you fly around you drop units um it's kind of cheesy and it's still in beta so it's sort of broken horribly uh the other game that i've been playing is planet side 2 that came out recently and it's the massive number of people shooting at each other and it's kind of interesting so far but there's a whole lot of people in there so i'm not really sure quite what i think of it yet i've only had about an hour with it so hopefully i'll have a play it some more and i'll report back so what have you been up to cat well i also registered for kcon obviously um i work on the auction staff which by the way if you have any neat craft stuff that's anime related and you want to get in touch with us and donate it uh we love crafty stuff so i'm gonna you're gonna hear that a lot from me just so you know because that's kind of part of my job is to solicit awesome cool stuff um i went to the oregon beach a couple weeks ago which was um surprisingly warm i think we managed to keep it pretty much above 60 most of the time Ooh. um yeah it was sunny too it was it was really neat um that, what kind of black magic is that i i really don't know like i was fully prepared for it to be just awful like i i packed two pairs of underwear Four pairs of socks, two pairs of pants, two shirts, a raincoat, and a polar fleece. Yeah, well, to be fair to Oregonians, if you're if you can't lean into the wind, it's not actually a day at the Oregon beach. That's uh, debatable. I don't know. It wasn't even really windy. Like I could keep my eyes open on the beach, and I wouldn't get splattered with sand, which was pretty awesome. And then I'm not sure when it started, but about a month and a half, two months ago. Um, I went on a kind of slow, gradual health kick. Like, I didn't want to just drop everything and be like, I'm only going to eat celery for the next eight years. Yeah. I was like, boy, I really should probably stop eating seven pieces of pizza and, you know, sit in game all day and do nothing. So I I started trying to kind of watch what I eat. And about a month ago, I started doing Zumba, which is one of those things I swore I would never do because it's got to look like the most ridiculous thing in the world but where i go has no mirrors and it's all done in an actual club like an actual nightclub and so it's all set up like you're actually in a club and everybody's dancing the same way you are and um they play really for the most part kind of r&b hip-hop music so it 
it feels like I'm actually dancing. And then I go home or I go to a bar and I try something and I'm like, oh, that's right. I don't actually know how to dance. This is Zumba. I actually look like an idiot. But um, while you're actually in the class, it's super fun. And so um, that's been working out really well. And it's been really fun to actually have something to do that's physical. Yeah, because it's either that or getting a 360 and playing Dance Central. And that seems a lot more nerdy than going. I love Dance Central. Don't get me wrong, but there are windows in my house, and I'd have to play Dance Central on the ground floor, and there are small children who wander around my neighborhood, and I don't want to be seen by the small children of my neighborhood as that crazy, crazy lady who dances in her front room. So, Christmas is coming, and I really, really, really want Dance Central and a Connect. But, uh, until then, Zumba is fantastic, and probably cheaper. Oh, yeah. Probably cheaper. And you get to meet more people. So it's kind of cool. True. Very true. Getting out is nice. So uh, speaking of meeting new people and having people around, our first neat thing today is a a tabletop game called Ticket to Ride. This game, um, we've heard a bunch about. It's won a ton of awards. And when we were at SteamCon, Kat saw it in the dealer's hall and immediately came and said, you must buy this for me now. Okay, hold on. To be fair, what I saw was the German Marklin edition of Ticket to Ride. And I happen to really love Marklin trains. And so this one is special. So the basic premise of Ticket to Ride is that you're a railroad tycoon who's trying to build a vast transportation empire to connect different parts of the country. The board is set up with a map of a various country, either the USA, Germany, Europe, the India, depending on the set that you have. And a number of major cities are placed across the board and they're all connected by a route. As you play the game, you will draw from a deck of colored cards with the goal of collecting a certain set of colors. These colors correspond to the routes that are on the board and each each route takes a certain number of cards in order to claim. When you claim a route, you get points for the number of trains that that route takes. And what guides you to choose which route are some destination cards, which you draw at the start of the game. And these are two cities that need to be connected by claimed routes. And when you claim a route, you get little plastic trains that you set down. And it's a relatively simple game once you set it up and take a look at it. Um, The game gets really difficult when you realize that there's only a limited number of routes and all the players may be trying to get to the same cities. So if someone comes in from the east and claims the eastern route, you can't use that route. You have to come in from the north or south, which is kind of interesting in the way that that you really have to plan out which route you get when and how you may be able to block your opponents to make it harder for them to get to the places that they need to go. Because if you don't connect the two cities on your destination card, you actually lose those points at the end of the game. And the game ends when someone runs out of their 45 trains that they start off with. And obviously longer destinations, like destinations that are farther apart, give you more points. And destinations that are closer together give you fewer points. There's a lot of different strategies you can employ with this game, either going for lots of very close cities or one or two really faraway cities, or having the longest track, or going for those really long, 
five, six, seven car run uh, routes. The the routes, I I don't think it's directly exponential, but um, as the routes get longer, you do get significantly more points for each of the the routes. And then if you get three or four long routes plus three or four you know large completed destinations, you can really get the points really fast. But I think it's really interesting that like we just played a couple of games between ourselves on the Markland edition and even though we have barely different strategies, I won a game and you won a game using entirely different strategies. It has this beautiful balance of luck and skill. I don't think you're ever going to have a problem where someone is just going to straight up outskill you. You're always going to be able to have some sort of luck to keep the game fun and interesting. Yeah, and a lot of it is there is some basic um, skill and there's some basic strategy you can have, but you can be a total new to the game and win. Will Wheaton's Tabletop actually has an example game uh, where they got a bunch of people playing, and so you can actually hop onto YouTube and see kind of how the game works because without really seeing the, the board and sort of all the different things, it's kind of difficult to figure, to get your mind wrapped around it. Well, and something else that I, I, I like is um, all the different versions that you talked about earlier. There's the the, Ger- the Marklin version, there's the German version, the American version, there's a Europe version. Um, and they have little expansions for certain ones, and they all introduce new gameplay features. Like the Marklin one has the passenger feature, which we haven't played with yet, but it's another way to get points. So if you get kind of bored there are these other point features that you can add for someone who kind of likes a little bit of geography who wants something fun the games only last at most a half hour they go pretty quick it's just fun because there's strategy there's luck but there's also surprise of oh you use you trying to second guess where the other person's going there are times when there's a route that you have to hit that it only takes one card to claim and if you don't claim that at the right time someone else will get it there before you and totally prevent you from being able to take that way. So if you're interested in playing with some little plastic trains on a small board with some friends and possibly stabbing them in the back because they are um, taking your routes, uh, Ticket to Ride is a great game to pick up. Speaking of stabbing people in the back, there's a new game that just got funded on Kickstarter that I'm really excited about. And um, it's called Ruse. It got way more funding than it originally needed. So I'm really excited. I think it needed 7,500 and it got around 28,000. So (laughs) I'm pretty excited for this. Uh, Basically the plan is, or the plot is this. Someone has committed a dastardly murder in the, in the city of uh, St. Sebastian, um, which is a beautiful Victorian steampunk city that they've designed. And you're all playing a character. The goal of the game is to prove that you didn't do it, but somebody in your midst did. Basically, everyone who's playing is on the short list of the cops' uh, suspects. The game mechanic is really simple. It's a draw one, play one kind of game mechanic. And it's based off of a standard 52-card deck. Um, that it, So you can actually have this card deck that is specialized for ruse and also use it for any of your normal card games. But basically, you draw a card and you play them to establish the method, the motive, and the opportunity on other players. And then you use alibi cards to remove those accusations from yourself. 
if you end up with all three accusation cards in front of you, you're going to be arrested for murder. And the first person, obviously, to end up in that situation is um, the loser, and you all win, which is kind of sad. But anyway, it's got a wonderful little steampunk theme to it. So like I said, it's got the 52-card deck, but instead of your standard suits, it's got crystals, gears, lamps, and pistols. And uh, it has the little label up top for ace, two, three, four, five, six, up through Jack, Queen, King. Um, but it's also printed with all of the ruse-based card notations. Um, I'm really excited to see its use of art to encourage the storytelling aspect of the game. You know, it's like, oh, the scorned lover um, found her opportunity when the back door was unlocked and she used her clockwork-powered golem. What's interesting is that uh, there's a there's a lot of strategy based off of when you play your accusations and when you play your alibi to make it a little more interesting. Well, it's not so much that so much as when you play an alibi, it will go on to the top of the pile. So you have to be careful which accusation you nullify so that you don't end up giving your alibi to somebody else. Apparently, from the playtesters, what they've noticed is that the storytelling really tends to heat up as people start playing accusations on each other and they'll start going back and forth and there'll be these moments of revenge and accusation throwing at the same two people and then somebody can sneak in and do it. Um, the Kickstarter got a lot of attention very late game and so Devin got the um, the $25 Kickstarter which includes a version of the game and originally just a zipper pull and they offered stretch goals where if they reached certain amounts they would be able to produce more stuff so in addition to the game and the zipper pull we're getting the backstory novella we're getting a hollow book to store it in and we're getting a solitaire dice game based off of the um, card game, which I think is really neat that they did that. And the group that is that made this game, Bonsai Games, is a really family-oriented for the most part, which I know is hilarious as I'm saying that this game is about stabbing people in the back and promising that you didn't kill anybody. Um, hey, these those are life skills that people will need <laughs> when you all, when the cops show up and there's a dead body on the floor and everybody looks at each other and goes... Uh, wasn't me. It was him. <laughs> you know, you. Yeah. You really don't want to. These are important skills that you will need to know. Yeah, you really don't want to be the one holding the bag when you know someone else did the dastardly deed. So another family-friendly game is one of the great classics, Settlers of Catan. It's one of those type of games that I think pretty much. Anyone who's never played a board game will almost nine times out of 10 fall in love with almost immediately because the game itself, you are the leader of a small expedition of settlers and you go to a mostly uninhabited island called Catan. And this island is different because at the start of the game, you set up the, the, the island. Um, you start with two settlements and your goal is to build a small empire cities. Um, each city or town is worth a certain number of points, and the first person to point to 10 points wins. Now, the way that you get 
more towns and the way that you get better cities is that you got to get resources. And every round, you roll some dice and certain tiles on the board will produce resources. And if you have a city that borders that tile, hey, you get that resource. So what's interesting is that there's no actual direct sort of combat between yourself and the other players. You're not trying to beat up the other person or defeat them or beat them around the track or that kind of stuff. You actually really need your your adversaries or the other players because you may not actually have all of the uh, resources and materials that you have that you need in order to build roads to build cities or build towns you may have like a ton of stone and sheep but no wood or bricks which can really make it hard to expand if you don't have that necessary um, necessary resource and so what you would do in that case is that let's say you have a ton of sheep you have a fat stack of sheep and your opponent on the other on the other side of the board has a massive wood. I mean, just like wood coming out of so <laughs> much wood, just this giant pile of wood. And you sit there and you're like, "Man, I really need some wood. I really need some wood." So you look over to so early in the day, I really need some wood. So you look over to your buddy and go, "Hey, um, I see that you need some sheep, so." Will you trade me some wood for sheep? And they they may be like, well, you could trade four sheep to like the mythical, you know, you could somehow transmute four sheep cards into one wood card, but I'll give you a piece of wood for two sheep because I need some sheep to do some stuff. And I would really like, and I have- Who doesn't need sheep to do some stuff? And I have all this extra wood to, to trade out or- I see that you really need this wood and it's really important. So I'll do maybe three sheep to this wood, to one wood. Or you can be like, man, I really want you to build that road that'll block that other guy who's just about to win. Here, let me just give you three things of wood because I'm such a nice guy. You'll just give me something back later. when, Or I'll, you get to build the road a certain way that I want you to build it. So, so there's all this horse trading and all these different things that happen. It's not horse trading, damn it. It's sheep trading. <laughs> <laughs> so all that type of trading happens and the that's some of the best games are the ones when there's a lot of cards flying around and you don't depend on rolling the dice to get stuff now there is now i say the the island is mostly uninhabited but there's one person on there and he's kind of a jerk he's the he's the robber baron and whenever you roll a seven the robber baron gets to move out of the desert and lands somewhere on the board, which you get to choose. So if you see someone... So basically, you're the jerk who controls the robber baron. Pretty much. But, <laughs> you know, it, it happens. And when, you know, you see someone's building, getting massive amounts of wood, and you go, you know what? I don't want him getting any more wood. You can roll a seven, grab the robber baron, put it on his wood tile or his wood producing tile. And now every time that dice is rolled, he doesn't get anything. So it's this interesting kind of play of moving the Baron around strategy of when to get resources, when to build cities and when do you actually start building? Because it tends to be that the person with the most number of cities or the closest to victory gets picked on by the other people and being able to, get suddenly from a few points to a whole lot of points is really good, but you can only really hang on to a certain number of cards. And if you wait too long, 
everyone else will expand so fast that you'll lose the game and you won't be able to get more resources. So there's this very fine balance of getting cities and just hold and you know holding your cards or turning in your cards and getting stuff and keeping track of what everyone else has. So again, because it's such an awesome game, Will Wheaton on his tabletop played Settlers of Catan. Um, I think he played it with his wife and she had a lot of fun with it and she's not your normal gamer. So yes, she is. Well, she didn't start off as she, she, they play board games very frequently. Yes. The story was that she did not start off playing, being all that interested in, in board games until we, Will Wheaton sort of sat down and they played some settlers of Catan and then they started playing it with their kids and it was a great time was had by all. So highly recommend that you check it out and if you haven't played it almost every game shop out there has it and if they ever have a like a board game night usually somebody will have it and that's settlers of Catan. Catan. so where settlers of Catan is a very adversarial game um the next game that i want to talk about is a very cooperative game there is no competition between between you and the um your teammates. I got this get that's stated by the fact that they're called teammates, I suppose. Um, this game is called Elder Sign. And again, it's an awesome game, and yes, I know Tabletop has done this one too. Elder Sign is the kind of game where the real enemy is the game. All of your team has to work together to destroy the game. Uh, so it's the the background story is it's 1926 and a Lovecraftian horror has been awakened at your local museum. You and your teammates must race the clock to find enough elder signs to seal away this dimensional monstrosity before the doom can devour you. I'd also like to take this moment to point out that Google Docs and Word recognize Lovecraftian as a real word. This game is set in the Arkham Horror universe um, and if you've ever been intimidated by board games, it's probably because of Arkham Horror. Um, Arkham Horror tried to walk the line between RP. I guess it successfully does between RPG and tabletop uh, board game, and it's a very, very, very complex game. So Elder Sign is kind of a simplified version of that. Um, that resolves all of your um, fights and searches with a series of dice. Um, Theoretically, it's one to eight people. You can you can play with one to eight players. I would highly recommend that you you stick to around two to five. Um, so you pick an investigator. You can either draw at random or you can go through and pick the one you want. It doesn't really matter. There's no specific rules on that. Um, each investigator has a specific ability. And then you move throughout the museum picking the rooms that are on the cards. And you try to roll the dice to accomplish the goals on each card or each room. And if you succeed, then you get the rewards on the card. If you fail, you get all the pain and awfulness that comes with the failure of the card. And rewards are things like items or spells or clues, which help supplement or improve dice rolls. And they also might give you the, you know, what you're actually looking for in the game, elder signs, which are used to stymie the elder gods that that is trying to come out. And... Often, if you fail, you'll get instead what's called a doom token. And a doom token is something that helps summon the Elder God to this uh, realm. 
at the end of each turn, regardless of whether you succeeded or failed, you have a clock, and the clock moves forward three hours. And every time that clock comes back to midnight, you draw this card called a Mythos card, which generally progresses the monster's uh the, the monster's awakening. Um, sometimes it'll also have um, extra things like, oh, here's a random mini monster that's going to come out and haunt this room now. It's the deck of, you know, let's make things more difficult because they weren't hard enough already. And there's lots of little things that are added to each room. Like some rooms have special effects where it's like, haha, suckerfish, as long as this one's out on the table, you don't get to use one of your dice. Or, haha, if you fail this, or if you roll a certain die on this and fail, you get extra screwed. So, there's lots of little things that help keep the game interesting. And for the most part, I would say, while they may make it slightly more difficult, they don't make it unplayably unfun. It's not impossible, unless you die, and then it's impossible. Well, and even if you die... Um, if your character dies either from losing all their sanity or from all of their health, you actually get to draw another character. Um, but you obviously lose any items or any clues that you've accumulated, but not the Elder Signs. The Elder Signs go into a, a pool. Um, I really like playing fully cooperative games because it if you've had kind of a rough day or you're playing with a group that you may not know quite as well, it's really nice to have everyone kind of looking out for each other rather than trying to, to mess with one another. Um, and I happen to really also love the, um, the setting that it's in, of course. And one of the things that I really want to point out because I didn't get a lot of chance to play this game, and because there's so much to it, and it takes about an hour or two to play, um, the tabletop version of this is is very light. But luckily, they have a um, they have an iOS and an Android version. So for those of you who don't have the ability to gather your friends at the drop of a hat in the middle of the night, you can play it on your phone all by yourself. In a dark room. Preferably, yes. It has lightning, too. It will flash lightning, so uh, real lightning! So it's called Elder Signs Omens. You can play it by yourself or you can hand the phone around and have everyone play a different character because it keeps everything separate. It's a wonderful game and it's a great way to learn the rules um, if you're confused because the phone obviously won't let you cheat. So our last neat thing is a game called Give Me the Brain. This game was from a company called Cheap Ass Games, which was later bought up by Steve Jackson. And you play as a bunch of zombies working in the fast food restaurant from hell. So all the employees are zombies, and unfortunately, there's only one brain to go around. The goal of the game is to try and empty your hand. Basically finish your to-do list. Yeah, then you can go back to your grave and, you know, sleep your eternal rest because working in a fast food place as a zombie, how, you know, terrible of a life can you have? Or <laughs> afterlife, I guess. Or an unlife. So... The nice thing is that there's pretty much only two types of cards. There's bid cards, which allow you to get the brain, and there's job cards, which some of them you need the brain in order to complete. So the game starts with the brain on the floor, unfortunately, and you all have to bid to try and pick it up. Each turn, you can either play a job card if you meet the requirements, of course, or you can loaf about, which basically means the manager comes out and says, you, draw another card because you have more work to do. So as a zombie, 
you you have two hands, you know, or arms. There are air quotes around the hands. And which are different because these are different than your hand of cards. Um, because jobs will take one or two hands to complete. And once you use a hand, you can't use it again in the same turn. So you can... So just like real humans, you only have two hands to do stuff with. Some tasks, mainly the hard ones, will require that you have the brain to complete. And the brain is just a six-sided die. Each task that requires the brain has a skill score, and you have to roll the dice and meet or beat the skill score in order to complete the task. The best part of the game is the flavor text, which whenever you play a card, you actually are required to say in a zombie-like voice. Butterfingers! It's a very fast-paced game. It's very simple to get get pick up on. It's one of those games that you, you pick it up and then you do what the card tells you to do. And it's really fun and easy and the games don't take that much time. And you can quickly, I mean, you can play, you can basically win in a couple of minutes or it can drag out as you try and prevent other people from winning and you steal the brain and make them drop it and all that other stuff. So It's a great camping game because it takes a little time. So, you know, if you're just waiting for your quesadilla to cook, play a game of give me the brain. Problem solved. Yeah, the entire game fits in a small bag and because it's a cheap-ass game. Yeah, cheap-ass games was um, this really great company idea that basically was designed to give you cool games extremely cheap. I mean, it's exactly what its name sounds like. They didn't even come with a die originally. It was it was just like printer paper cards. Maybe cardstock if you were lucky. It, it's basically like original style Monopoly cards. Um, but but the point is, is that the game is still complete and it's really simple and it comes with rules and the cards and that's it game over like that that's all you get you know and steve jackson of course came back and prettied it up it's got you know laminated cards with rounded edges and whatnot but but the spirit of the game is still exactly the same we've played a couple of cheap ass games and they are really fun and creative because they're very different from other stuff that you get on a regular basis so with that that brings us to the end of the neat stuff podcast uh, if you have some wicked awesome board games that you think we should talk about, I know they're out there because I can think of at least a half dozen off the top of my head. Yeah, between the two of us, we probably got about another 30 we could talk about. Yeah, we probably have at least a month or two worth of podcasts. We could talk just about board games, but we're not going to because that would turn us into a gaming podcast and that's not really what we are. And if you want to give us any feedback on the podcast and what you think of it, you can also send us an email at neatstuffpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also subscribe to our podcast and check out all of our past episodes at neatstuffpodcast.com. And we are on iTunes. Just search for Neat Stuff Podcast. So from the Neat Stuff crew, my name is Devin. And I'm Kat. Have a great week, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. The Neat Stuff Podcast is brought to you by the Baltic Avenue Theater Company and their new off-off-off-off-off Broadway alley hit, Repo Man, the Monopoly Opera. Did you think that living on Broadway was going to be easy? After that third train trip around the board, things tend to get a little bit difficult. Eventually, even you won't be able to squeeze that $5 from the bums on Mediterranean Avenue and that fancy hotel of yours will go into disrepair. The moment you hit income tax, you'd better believe we'll be coming for you. 
Use all the free parking you like. There's no get-out-of-jail-free card for back taxes. You can call your friends over at Marvin Gardens or St. James Place, but unless they've got a shiny silver car as collateral, you might as well hang up your boot. So love us or hate us, we're the Repo Men of Monopoly City. You'll be like, well, I don't remember what I was going to say. It's confusing and I'm tired. I can't do this. So I try not to distract you so that you don't get pissed at me. So now get out of my spiel. I have a metal can that I will come over there and beat you with. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't um, think I won't. You're laughing well, now. I, get out ah, of here. Ah, ah, I want to I want, I want ah, have ah, something. Ah, cool. No. All right. No. Me.